Hello and welcome to episode 84 of Ferg on the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew RLP. Join me once again is League Freak, who you can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going very well. I uh, just watched the Manly Seagulls uh, bow out for 2019 against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And, well, it was a really, really good contest. It but was. It what, wasn't. Guess what's getting talked about? Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, before we get on, I was going to say, um, it was actually quite an entertaining game without being an all-time classic or even a great game. Mm. Just there the toing so and throwing was so good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really was. It was like back and forth through the entire contest. Um, we saw some great plays. We saw some, you know, breakdowns in defense. It was, it just like had everything. It was really, really entertaining. And I think probably in terms of like the finals games we've seen so far, I think overall that's been the best one to watch. It was great. And if we cast our minds back, um, quite a ways to the last episode mm-hmm. where we reviewed this match mm-hmm. or previewed this match, sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that we, we, Agreed that the South centres were among the worst form-wise this year, mm. and that we thought this game would probably see the score change a few times. Yeah, yeah, I, and like I mean, there was Manly should have had one try. James Roberts just slipped over in defence, and they made a break. And I mean, how many times have we seen second rows in the last few weeks get into the clear? And think, okay, I've got my support players inside of me. What'll I do? What'll I do? I'll just run it myself and forget my support players. If yeah. he had a passed it, and I don't know what player or what the player's name was, but if he had a passed it to any of his support players, Manly scores under the posts. Unbelievable. Yeah. And it's we've seen it happen so many times. It's like the the rule should be are you a forward? Yes, pass the pass the ball. Pass it. Pass it. You should have already yeah. passed it. Yeah, yeah. But if you're thinking, should I pass the ball? That's when you yeah. pass the ball. Yeah. Yeah. If you're asking the second time, too late, you've already blown your chance. Yeah. Should I pass the ball? You should have already passed it. <laughs> yeah. Well, have a look at the first half. I The one thing that stood out for me in the first half is how atrocious um, the South edges were in defense. Gagai, yeah. um, Roberts, Sam Burgess. That second try that merely scored. He just he just flung his arm out, probably trying to grab a handful of hair or something. But um, they were woeful. There was there was little impact going in in their defence. It was very grabby. Yeah, and there were a lot of tries scored around Reynolds, like on the outside mm. and inside of Reynolds. Um, he was absolutely atrocious in defence tonight. There's no other word for it. Uh, Manly did a really good job of attacking his side of the field. And got a number of tries from it. Um, yeah, massive breakdowns. I mean, that's going to be a real problem going into next week's game against the the uh, Canberra Raiders down there in Canberra because they were just absolutely terrible on that side of the field. And like as you said, like Gagai and Roberts, both of them, they had very poor games. Um, and yeah, Manly just exposed a lot of problems in this South Sydney defence. I mean, Gagai got schooled. He got lapped mm. by a bloke who was sleeping in his car instead of training and eating boxes of chicken McNuggets instead of proper food. Yeah, it was. It was tell you what, it was a good try by McNuggets. <laughs> oh man, it's he's uh, okay. Obviously, he started at the West Tigers as a junior, and the club yeah. saw the potential in him. They offered him, I think, it was close to bloody 
200 or 300 grand or something on his very first contract as a teenager before he even played a game. Mm-hmm. That was the potential they knew. And so to see him playing like this, I look at it and go, yeah, we kind of, I kind of always knew that he had this in him. Yeah. It's just a shame that he let laziness get in the way when he was at the club. But I am happy to see that Des has essentially stuck a boot up his ass and told him, you need to smarten up, otherwise that's it. And he's, he really has responded well to Des. Yeah, and he's been fantastic. And, you know, sometimes, and look, I can't even imagine what it would be like being a teenager and having hundreds of thousands of dollars given to you playing footy. Like, I don't think I would have handled it well. And sometimes just, you know, at, at some point you get to, to where it's like, dude, this might be it. If you stuff this up, this might be the end of everything. And maybe he's just got to that point and it's woken him up a little bit. The good thing is, I mean, Des has got the best out of him so far and hopefully it continues going forward because uh, he's just been sensational. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him drop probably another five kilos. Yeah, yeah. And definitely. I think that would add just a, a touch more pace to him. He'd be un, he'd be unstoppable. Um, yeah. He looked, he looked was, damn good tonight. There was a there was another good hit tonight by uh, George Tafua. Oh, he was man. great. He racked him up. Yeah, he was uh, like he put one on, and uh, man, you do, we wouldn't want to be running towards his side of the field, hey? Like, there's going to be forwards that have been like, dude, I know it looks like there's a clearing there, but don't pass me the ball. <laughs> yeah, you know what's good about him is that his technique is sweet. Yeah. The timing, everything about it is so perfectly in alignment. So that, you know, it reminds you a bit of uh, Nigel Plum. When he yeah. makes that hit, people get hurt. It makes, you wonder, it. it makes you wonder about how many times or, or how much effort is put into defensive technique with younger players and whether it's kind of something that gets left by the wayside a little bit in terms of like, if you see someone's a good defender, you just, you know, you try and build the game a little bit in other areas. And I wonder if teams put a lot more emphasis on defensive technique, whether we'd see players doing more tackles like that. Because as as you say, there's some players, they just naturally get it. Like they, they just, all of it, they, they plant well, they push forward, they hit with their shoulder right. And he's one of those players. Yeah, he just absolutely nails it. The thing is, you see so many big wingers these days, mm. and none of them can tackle like that. Mm. But he's just—he's rock solid. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it's bloody good to see. It really is. It's fantastic, and it's—it's it's almost like having a weapon in defence, especially if he can read defence well, which he does. Yeah, like he—he he isn't doing these tackles and. Like, he's literally shutting down backline plays with these tackles. It's, they're an effective tackle. It's not like he's putting on his big hits and every so often you're like, oh, I missed on, timed on that. Like, he's shutting down plays with these these hits. It's incredible. Certainly is. And I think it sort of highlights the fact that that's something that everyone sort of goes, ooh, ah, about. They just love watching the Tafur hits. I think it's largely because most defenses these days are trained to be um, two men in every tackle. Mm-hmm. The fact that he doesn't need a, any assistance to pull off a tackle on anyone, it just stands out that much more. Yeah, and there's, there's also a thing where, like, you can do all you want with wrapping the ball and everything up. A good time tackle, it just shuts the play down. It's almost like a, a liver shot in boxing. 
It's like whatever happens, you can't you can't prepare yourself from being just completely dominating in the tackle. Like you, you you're just holding on to the ball and hoping that it doesn't hurt when you hit the ground. You know, yeah. Um, it's like your body goes into. Those... I was gonna say it's like your body goes into self preservation mode and and stops thinking about playing football. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no time to. It's like bang. It's all over. It's yeah. it's very. It's it's the most effective tackle still. Oh, he's, he's a stunning tackler. Mm. We watch him nail people all day long. Mm. Um. So yeah, there was. I I, I was having a look and looking having a look back on the highlights, and I thought a lot of the tries in that game weren't actually from great play. Like they yeah. were fairly a lot of fairly soft tries in there. Yeah, there um, were a lot of bad reads defensively and yeah. a lot of uh, arm grabbing at, that led to tries as well. Um, exactly. There was one There was one really good play that uh, South did close to the line, and I think it was Reynolds. He, he sort of drew a couple, and it was only in a few metres, he drew defenders across and put the pass back on the inside, and it was the, uh, the lock. What was his name? Oh, Murray, yeah. Murray, yeah. He dived over. In basically in that hole that was made, I thought that was a beautiful try, um, yeah. absolutely fantastic, and right to the, next to the post as well. That's um, the thing that, that makes Murray so good, though, is that he is not scared to run that suicide line where you know you're going to get smashed by someone, and he just goes out of hammer and tong. Yeah, and he was going into the teeth of the defence. Unfortunately, the the defence had overread the play a little bit, and the inside defenders, I mean, they were de- dealing with the goalposts and all that, but. Yeah, I mean, he could have very easily just ran into a brick wall and got destroyed, but he he goes for it. He's one yeah. of them players that's just fearless. He is, and you'd love to have him in your side. Yeah, you really would. Um, and he plays above his weight a little bit in the in those terms as well. Like he's not the biggest player in the world. No, that's right. Um, he like yeah, fantastic play. I, that was probably the one try that was scored that you were like, man, that was a really good try. That one. Um, as you say, the rest of them were kind of defence holding back and, and just poor defence. I mean, there's a lot of points for a finals game overall. Yeah. Um, now, let's get on to the big talking points. Okay. Um, well, All I three of them. Yeah. <laughs> all three of guess, them. Um, there's also a lot the, of rest faulting. Yeah, I know. I, I guess the first one was... Uh, when the the manly player, and I can't remember the manly player's name, he pushed the guy's head in the tackle, which oh, that uh, was I mean, Gachevsky. Yep, that's it. And you know, not needed. Uh, more of that crap that I think they need to uh, penalise harder in terms of the grading with the uh, match review committee. Yeah. They need to bump up those gradings for that. And it kind of broke out where the South players took offence to it and everyone started grabbing each other and, you know, looking at each other meanly and saying nasty words to each other. And then uh, Cody Walker does an open-hand slap. And yeah. it, had, it had a bit of power behind it, but still it was an open-hand slap. And it's 10 in the bin. That's it. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, there's, it's as the referee clearly said, mate, it's striking. He's hit him in the face. Yep. Really I mean, straightforward. There's no ambiguity here. That is, that's exactly what the rule was. That was a hit to the face. Um, yeah, ten bins perfectly fine. Yet people were blowing up, going, "Oh, yeah." It's, it's, it was a really unique situation though because South had a player go in the bin, but they also got a penalty. 
Yeah, and, and I think that's what sort of caused a lot of people to get a bit, you know, hot under the colour, I guess, because they thought, oh, maybe Kachevsky deserved to go to the bin, but he wasn't striking. He was just being, I call that grubby and dopey. Yeah. Um, and yes, I, I'm, I'm obviously I'm with you on that one. We we need to be doing something to, to rub that shit out. There's no need for that. It's pointless. And if he missed next week because of it, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with it. You absolutely. know, just I'd, to get that crap out the game. Yep, I'd absolutely urge that. Yeah. Um, Sorry, so, South fans, but if you've got to start. You've got to stop saying that, you know, we can't be losing players from big games. And I say no bullshit to that. The only way you're going to make a, a strong statement on getting rid of this stuff is you say, we don't care what the game is. Mm-hmm. You do something like that, you're getting a suspension. We can't sit there and just say, oh, it's a grand final. We need to find a way to make sure that we say, you're, you're going to be punished, but we're not going to force you to miss the game because that's not a punishment. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, I got mixed up there. It was a manly player that <laughs> did that grubby stuff, and they won't be playing next week because they lost. But, yeah, it's... It, they just they need to come down harder on those sorts of just it's just crap it's not needed and um, Cody Walker was interesting after the game he said he was disappointed in himself for striking in that situation um, in retaliation for it and he, he was like he didn't make any excuses it, it was like yeah I I I stuffed up there um, and yeah but you can't even, you can't strike even he's not refs folding. No, nah, not at all. Not at no. all. He just he took it on the chin and he was like, that was on me, um, which yeah. I thought was really good and really bad, bad moment for him. Uh, he'll hopefully learn from that. He had a bit of a mixed game. There were He was quiet at times, but then at other times he was very good. So hopefully he's turning his form around. But that was probably the first of, you know, the things that the media is going to, you know, they, they, it's just going to be the focus, unfortunately, in this game. They're not going to look at the game itself. Well, oh, yeah. Um, then there was another another sin bidding. Let mm-hmm. me remember that was Brad Parker for a trip. And it, yeah, now it's interesting. In, in, I was, well, actually, I was just going to say, in fast play, it kind of looked like he's putting his foot out in preparation to block a kick. But when you yes. see it back, you sort of look at it and go, "That looks like a premeditated trip to me, more than a." attempt to block the ball yeah and for the first replays they were showing it sort of head on and he the angle that he was at was very different so he wasn't head on to the to the where the footage was coming from so head on i was kind of like you i was like look he's he's put his leg has gone out he has tripped the player over and it deserves the sin binning um Mm. but then there was an angle from behind him and his leg goes out and he he flat out, it was a trip. Yeah. Um. And that that come up after he'd been sent to the bin. And when I saw that angle, because at first I was like ten in the bin. Yeah, I kind of I'll accept that just because it's a bit of a grey area. When I saw that re- replay from behind, I was like he should have been sent off. Um. So I thought that Manly kind of got away with one then, because that was as dangerous as it gets in terms of tripping a player. Yeah, and this is the thing that gets me to, and I think it's because we've had eye gouges and, and shit like that this year, but tripping should be considered in the same sort of realm. Yeah. It, used, it used to be. Yeah, it used to be like you're gone, get off the field. Yeah, it's like one of the lowest grub acts you can do up there with mm. you know, eye gouging. That's where it was. And for some reason, it's just been seen as, oh, it's just another thing. We'll just give him a fine for that. And I think, no, 
Too many trips this year, got to start getting heavier. If something's happening yep. too often, we need to start cracking down on it because the punishment clearly isn't enough. Yeah, it, there has to be that thing for players where they know that, you know, you put your leg out like that, you fling it out like that. I mean, there's a difference between... <clears throat> I can get where there's a reaction of a player is just beyond your reach and you're in defence and there's times where you feel like you've got to lunge and do that first massive step. And in doing that, your leg's going out, you're trying to grab the player, and sometimes it doesn't work out. I get that. And if that was what we saw tonight, I would have been like, 10 and bin, that's fine for that. But I don't think that's what we... When I saw that angle from behind him, directly behind the player, I was like, man, that's a send-off tripping. And I thought that Manly were very, very lucky in that instance. Yeah, he's... I think... I'd be surprised if he doesn't have to take a trip to the judiciary. Yeah, yeah, because it was, I mean, Roberts was flying through, got flat out tripped over, um, could have been really, really ugly, uh, very lucky that he wasn't injured. And, like, I, you don't know, he's, I mean, I'm sure his leg's probably really hurting in that, you know, tonight. But, uh, yeah, terrible. Yeah, and the uh, the last one was uh, Jake Trebojevic, pulling a defender, uh, sorry, not mm. a defender, an attacking player for South out of the play so that he could try and affect the tackle. And at first, again, in fast play, it looked like he'd, he'd only just brushed his hand on him and the player may have dived. Mm. But he looked back and he's actually got a handful of his jumper. Yeah, and the thing was, like, he was the, like, the, the player was to his left. Um, he grabbed the left-hand side of his jersey. So it's not even like he was trying to jostle the right side, like the right side of Gagai. That's right. Um, he was behind him too. Yeah. So he grabbed his jersey, pulls him back, takes him out of the play. Gagai was the immediate support player, the closest support player. Um, and that's, I mean, that's really straightforward. That's been a rule. And I was joking with you before the podcast. It's been a rule since 1895. Yeah. And, to hear commentators blow up over it. And the funny thing is I was watching that one on Fox and they blew up about it initially and then they saw the replay and they went, oh, yeah, that's probably not wrong. See, I I watched it on Channel 9 and the reaction was absolutely ridiculous from the commentators. Like, they're going, no, no, no. Like, that's literally what they did over and over again. Um, Really straightforward. And the thing is, too, when you watch it in the replay, uh, I believe it was Murray made the break from memory. Yeah. Um, and he looks at, at Gagai, and then Gagai's gone. And so he has to go out to to the man outside of him. It, he literally took out a support player, and he's close to support player. And that's black and white. That's straightforward. And it was another really, I thought, a really good decisive call by the referee. Yeah. Um, straightforward. Yeah, not, a, th- not an issue with it. I'd say that the referee, the referee's decisions tonight when it came to the, all three Simbinings, they were clear with their, with their rules mm-hmm. and they did not waste time mm-hmm. and they made the right call on it every time yeah. and they explained it to the players and then yeah. they walked away and said, we're not going to debate this, it's time to keep playing football. And I think when it came to those three decisions, that was the most... Confident I've seen them when it comes to a decision like that all year. And I liked it. I did too. Um, and the thing was too, like, the three decisions to send being the players, 
it wasn't like there was grey area. No. It was like, well, that's an offence, that's an offence, and that's an offence. It was really straightforward. And as you say, the referees were very confident, and I, I thought they were great. I thought they were fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I, I literally wish they had been like this for for years, mm. just to be that confident with their decisions. Are going, no, that's definitely going in the bin. Um, and I like the fact that, and you, you'll see this every year that finals comes around and they sort of treat a bit like Origin where they, they put the whistle away a little bit and they, they go a bit more easier on the players and, you know, sin bin or send off offences usually just get a put on report and they play on and try and keep it 13 on 13. Yeah. And this time around they went, no, we're not going to copy any shit. We're just going to keep enforcing the rules as we should do as if it was a game in round one. And I, th- and I was looking at it going, about time. Yeah, I, I agree. loved it. And, and the other thing was too, the three offences... That were that we've talked about here with the sin binnings, it, like the because I, I, I watched Channel Nine, right? And they were saying, and Andrew Johns and Paul Vorton and Jonathan Thurston, they were basically saying the referees decided this game. And it's like, well, one player punched another player, and that's that's a sin bin, right? And then another player tripped another, that's a sin bin. And then you took out the support player. That by dragging him back by his jersey, that's a sin bin. It's like you you made the decision for the referee. There were no yeah. grey areas there. It was just straightforward, decisive action was taken, and they are literally the black and white rules of the game. And it was fantastic to see the the rules of the game enforced. Yeah, and as I said, like on on Fox Sports, they um they come out and they say, oh no, that's not. Oh, and then they look at the replays. Oh yeah, I think he's got that one right. And mm. I hate the fact that the default option every time whenever there's a sin binning is blame the referee, not the player. Yeah. The referee did not put the player in that position. The referee didn't force the player to do that. It's always the player's fault. Sure, the ref may get them wrong every now and then, but I don't think you'll find too many sin binnings that go on every year that are unjustified. And you, people have got to remember too that, you know, as us armchair critics are, we get we get the benefit of replays and mm. several seven or eight different bloody camera angles and commentators telling us what's going on and they're looking through binoculars and stuff as well. We've got that many eyes on the game helping us watch the game. Our job's easy to just sit there and point at all the errors. Mm. These bastards out there, they've only got the one view, and if they've got a player between them and the action, which is going to happen a lot, then they're not going to be able to see things too clearly. And they've got to make judgment calls. And a lot of the time, those judgment calls are spot on. Yeah. And we saw that tonight. It shows you just how fantastic these people are at their job. It's unbelievable at times. Um, And that's what got me about the uh, line judge's call last week when he said that the Storm player's hand touched the sideline because in real time, when it happened, I was like, oh, I think his hand touched the sideline. And then in the replay, and I'm looking at it on a giant TV, like I'm probably getting cancer from this bloody thing. I'm sitting so close to it too. And in in when they showed the replay, I was like, oh, I got that wrong. They say that the the touch judge, but I haven't been running up and down the sidelines for the last two hours either. And you know, he, I don't have to run around place to see the action either. And um, 
yeah, they get so many calls right. They're really, really good at their jobs. They're not going to get everything right because they're human beings mm-hmm. and human beings fail. Um, but yeah, and, and that's something I would like to talk about too. Uh, is in that last, excuse me, in that last fifteen minutes, that game was there to be won by both sides. There were failures by South Sydney. I mean, there, there were failures by both teams. South at one point got into great field position because Manly had turned the ball over about 10 metres 10 meters out from their own line. And instead of going for the field goal, Sam Burgess uh, ran to the right and lost the ball. Um, he ended up get, going off the field with a HIA, which is something else I want to talk about with that uh, in a bit. But that, So that was a failure on South's behalf because they could have gone for the field goal. Um, there were a couple of mistakes by Manly. They dropped the ball about three different times. One of them were two uh, plays. The wing and the fullback didn't communicate, and they collided and dropped the ball. Uh, there was another really bad drop ball, like a simple drop ball um, up towards halfway. And then in the last minute, they had a dropout, and they were going for a short dropout, and they didn't get the dropout off in time. And it was just a from right in front penalty to South and basically iced the game because that meant South were up by eight points with only about 10 seconds left on the clock. So these two teams were making uh, big mistakes when in, a, in an elimination final when the pressure was on and the game was tight. And that needs to be remembered. Both these teams made big, like really, really big mistakes. And that needs to be remembered ahead of all of this other stuff in terms of the referees made the right calls. They made really decisive calls. And it was mistakes by the teams and the players themselves that decided this contest and could have decided it either way. If one team didn't make those mistakes, they win the game. Unfortunately, they both made mistakes. And that needs to be remembered out of this contest. Absolutely agree. Yeah. You did touch on something there, and that was uh, towards the end of the match there. Sam Burgess did come off uh, with a HIA. I think he fell awkwardly in a tackle and got crunched by Tafua. Yes, I think he fell in. I mean, they were saying it was Tafua's shoulder hit Burgess. I thought it was more his chest. What did you think? I I initially thought it might have... It looked like he had his his arms down by his side, and I initially thought it might have been part part chest, part arm slash elbow, but not in a way where he was poking it out to try and hit him. No. Just that he just crashed like face face first into him. He was like he was trying to run run into uh run into a wall without putting his hands out to brace himself. Yeah. <laughs> it just looked kinda of like that and just Sam fell forward sort of face first into his chest. Mm-hmm. Um just I suppose that's one of those times when you know, it doesn't matter how good your technique is, if someone falls in an awkward position, that's never gonna work out well. Yeah, it was it was probably even uh, less that could be done. Like the, we we talked about the Jared, Jared Warrior Hargraves um, uh, thing a couple of weeks ago, where the player literally fell down into him, and he just happened to be existing in that spot. You mm. know, it was almost like that. Tafil was running towards the play, um, but yeah, there wasn't even it wasn't like there was a movement even forward by his arms. And, I, yeah, I, I don't even know that his arms hit Burgess. I really do. I think it was his chest. Burgess fell down into his chest. And um, poor old Sam Burgess. I mean, it looked like it turned him off for about 20 or 30 seconds there. And he come off with the HIA. 
the thing that I would like to talk about, and I don't know if you know the rule in this case, right? And it luckily, and, and I say luckily, it was a very unlucky incident, so that's the wrong word. But this happened in the last five minutes of the match, and South didn't have any interchanges left. My question to you is, if you're in an incident like that where a player comes off with a HIA and obviously can't return to the field, right? So it's been proven that he does have, he has been affected by the concussion. Mm-hmm. But you've already used up your all of your interchanges. Does that player that re- replaced you in the HIA incident, does he have to then come from the field so you're down to 10 to 12 players? No, no, because someone goes off with a HIA, it's a free interchange. But then... If they stay off with a HIA, then you've then it counts as an interchange, doesn't it? Don't think so. I think if a player comes off, yeah, with a with a HIA, um, the other player comes on and replaces them. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just a straight swap, like like they didn't. Yeah. yeah. So whether whether they if if they get cleared to come back onto the field, yeah, then when they when that player comes back on, that one counts, I believe. See, I thought that one didn't count, but if if you had been if you had had to if they said yeah he's not coming back then it does count as a because I thought about a situation where would it get to a point where a player has to be he has gone on as the HIA replacement, but then if the player gets ruled out, do they have to then take that replacement off the field? And is that a bit of a I don't know, a loophole in the rules there. This is my understanding, okay, and that would be if if there was a situation where they said, we can't bring a player on because we've used up all of our substitutions and he's been knocked out, Mm. then you run the risk of a club saying, you know, this game's in the balance. We can't have Sam Burgess come off the field because then we'll be down to 12 players and Manly might win. So we're going to leave him out there. Yeah, and that's... That's that's the reason why I think that they can come off and be replaced for free. So yeah. as to stop clubs from leaving players who have been knocked out on the field. Okay. I, and I, I, I do. I hope that that's the rule. Because when I was watching the game and the way it was being described and I was like, oh, that, that's, that's, that, that, that does open that door for you leaving the player out there. And I was really and, – and Sam was obviously really badly knocked about. It wasn't like there was any grey area there. But I was very impressed with the way that South – straight away were like, yeah, he's no good and took him straight off the field, um, you know, and put his health first. So I was I was very impressed with that. Um yeah, he, and yeah, he I was just definitely in a bad way. So it really was. It was it was not good to see. Um and yeah, I, I mean I try oh, there was another HIA <clears throat> earlier in the game where Johnson <coughs> excuse me, Johnson and uh du- Dooley, Dooley. they yeah, they had a head clash. And Johnson, I mean, his head started, you know, pouring blood straight away. He looked like he got the worst of it. They brought him straight off. And then the other player, they said, look, you've got to come off as well. I think he was a little bit surprised by that because they did a quick assessment on the field. And he looked like it was just one of those incidents where it looked like he sort of come out of it the better of the two players. And he did end up going back on the field. Um, But, yeah, that was a nasty head clash as well. Hopefully Johnson's all right for next week because yeah that was that was really nasty he you know a really bad head clash that one 
Yeah. Plus, Johnson is, um, I know I said in the last episode, he's a genuine try scorer. And that first try he scored, mm. we saw there the difference between a, a, a standard winger and, and a player who want, who knows how to score tries because he saw that opportunity. Even though there was a cover defender coming across and one in front of him, he still looked at that situation and said, I can score here, and then went and did it. Yeah, and those natural try scorers, and it was funny because I, when he scored that try, I was thinking, man, Andrew was talking about that earlier. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's crazy how the natural try scorers, that half gap, they always score. Yeah. like they, It's like... It, it, and it's 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 crazy. They must have just an a better instinct for the. There's something that they do that's different that I can't put into words. But they just get there. You know, they make it happen. Yeah. And it's uh it's so cool when you see it. And he really is. He's a natural try scorer. And man, he that he had half a chance and he he scored it easy. Yeah. Uh, it didn't even look like it was going to be a hassle. And I just thought no. it was crazy because it was. It was basically a two-on-one, and he was yeah. the one. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, like, love watching a, a good, a good genuine try score. You know, ply their craft out there. It's fantastic to see. Yeah, it's it's funny how um, those sorts of players sometimes don't get valued enough by teams. I don't think. Like I always think of Bevan French. He was the same sort of player. Yeah, and you're telling me that there aren't teams that would kill to have just a natural try scorer out there. Like I don't understand why other teams weren't chasing him, especially one as fast as Bevan French. Mm. That kid can motor, and his try scoring record is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, he didn't get to play too many games, but yeah, his try scoring record was was um, it was it was pretty bloody insane. He's over in over in England now. Mm. Yeah, hopefully he's doing the same thing over there because he really is one of those players that he, he should be back in the NRL. Like, I mean, I think, you know, put him on the wing for the Titans. Put him on the wing for the – we talked about it earlier. Put him on the wing for the Broncos. They could yeah. use him. Anyone. He scored 35 tries in 47 NRL games. That's that's insane. He's, he scored four tries in five games in the Super League. There you go. It's just some players that. Yeah. Can you imagine what it must have been like to watch Ken Irvine do that over the course of his entire career? Or the likes of Brian Bevan. Yeah. Um, Albert Rosenfeld, another one. God, the bloke was a legend. Offia, um, yeah, over Offia. in over oh. in England, like these players that, and obviously it's there's a lot more tries to be had over in England, but. These players that just can get to the line are, they're freaks. They're real yeah, freaks. Well, people need to remember, too, that Martin of Fire is one of, I think, only two players to ever score 10 tries in one game. Mm. I think George West was the other one back in the 40s or something like that. 10 tries in one game. And he did that in the 90s. And when you watch the, the uh, highlights of that game, it's as though you you're watching a video game. It's like you're watching two bad teams and then you've got like uh, this player that you've brought in and you put all of these stats up to 99. It's so yeah. weird. It's like, it's like taking Roger Tuivasa-Sheck and then putting him in a um, a reserve grade game in the New South Wales country somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It, it's goes... very, very strange to watch because, and, and taking nothing away from him, he was just that good. 
yeah, he was ahead of everyone else. He he, he was he was the future. He really was. I and I, I man, it might have been one of the first times you and me talked, uh, and it might have been before we'd even report recorded a podcast. And I remember saying to you how he, if you took him back in the late eighties and put him in a side today, they would say, I can't believe what an athlete this guy is compared to everyone else today. Yep. And he was doing that back in the late 80s. Yeah. He was one of – see, a lot of people have heard that, you know, that that 80s going into the 90s period, England got left behind when Australia started to properly embrace professionalism, as in they do proper training drills and proper fitness and exercises and all this sort of stuff. And England were left behind. They're still playing the game like it was in the 60s. You know, you'd – go to the pub after your game and you go to the pub after training and sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And Aussies, they're doing nutrition and diets and all sorts of weights and stuff like that. And Martin Fire, along with, say, Ellery Hanley, were two of the very, very few English players in the 80s and 90s who were playing, who were doing exactly the same thing the Aussies were. Mm. And it showed on the field because they were streets ahead of everybody else over there and they were world-class. They could have got themselves into... Both any of those Australian sides in the eighties and nineties, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And the thing is, too, like there are players, and I think of Eric Gross Senior, right? I think if you took him, and I'm talking like him as he was, and you brought him into the current day game, he's playing against wingers now that would be faster than him, way stronger than him, way bigger than him. Like, and I'm not saying he would disgrace himself, but I'm just saying the facts. You know, I think that. Back then, he was he was like so strong and so powerful compared to everyone else. I think if you brought him into today's game, that wouldn't be such a standout as he was back then. Whereas Ophia, you put him in today's game, he's the quickest player in the league today. Yeah. yeah. And unbelievable, unbelievable. I, I think don't you wish you had a time machine for it? It's kind of like, I think the best way to look at it is imagine putting someone with the elusiveness of Josh Adokar into the frame of Wendell Saylor. Yeah, and then make him a bit faster, you know. (laughs) It's it's crazy. It's crazy. The bloke was an absolute freak. It really was. It was the first of of those wingers who you would toss the ball to when you needed someone to do something. You know, like Parramatta would do him with Semi Radraja. Yeah, he was the first of those really in the in the modern game. Yeah, it's and and like Sammy is another one who was a natural try scorer as well. Um, you know, and you know what, Sevo is looking like, and it's very early days for Sevo, but man, he's looking the same way that he yeah. might be that combat that ridiculous combination of like as big as most forwards, super powerful, very very fast. But he's also, and I think you see it with some of the tries he's put on for other players, where he's just naturally, he just does certain things that it's like, this guy is a try scorer. But it's very early on for him. I mean, Radradri did it over a number of seasons, and I hope we see Sivo do it his entire career in rugby league. The thing for Sivo is he's, his speed of improvement is off the charts. Mm. We saw him fumbling around in the first in the in round one this year, mm-hmm. and look at him going, "Oh, gee, I don't see this one working." Every week you saw improvement, and now you look at him playing. He's playing with so much confidence. He's so good at what he does. And he's an absolute just 
ball of energy. Um, yeah, and I, the other thing is too, like he um, he can get the ball flat-footed and blast one defender, just put him on his ass. Yeah. And then the acceleration, so now he's away. And then the vision, like to to then get away from everyone else. And then that, the, the weird thing is he's, when he gets in the clear, he he's really good at finding who his support players are and putting a really good pass onto them as well, which yeah. for a finisher, sometimes you don't see that with a, a, a winger because, because they're normally the ones finishing the play. Um, and as you say, that, that improvement, man, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to watching him play tomorrow. I can't wait. You know what? We, we didn't discuss this, but we did get an email during uh, last week. Mm-hmm. About the worth of wingers. Yeah. I don't worry if we now, should. Eh? I re- yeah, I reckon we should probably do it now. Yeah, let me bring up the. I'll bring up the uh, email because it was a really good email. And uh, it, like we were going to base a whole um, episode around it. It was it was such a good email. So let me just go into my email and find it. It was from. Okay, so it was from Christopher. Kilismanis, I hope I'm saying your name right. And he said, hey, boys, I have a question for the podcast. I'm always hearing that wingers are demanding too much money and then that they're not worth it, etc. My question is, at what point do wingers start making that big money and the position gets recognised as something worth paying overs for? Since they took out the rule where if you hit the corner post, it's a no try, it seems like time and time again, wingers are in the most vulnerable defending positions and the most fantastical attacking moves. A defender who can do both efficiently perhaps should be demanding top dollar. And then he says, I'm enjoying the podcast. Keep pumping them out. I enjoy more than two episodes a week as I feel uh, it's less of a chance that you're like every other podcast who does just the wrap up and the prediction. So that was, and he says all of it. So thank you so much for that email. That was fantastic email. And it prompted us to, Put together, well, first of all, let's talk about the worth of a winger um, in that situation. Yeah. I, I When I played the game, and I didn't play at any level, but when I played as a kid, I was I always wanted to be a winger because my favourite player when I was a little kid was E.T. and when, early in his career as a winger. So I always wanted to be a winger. And I've always felt that a true, pure winger has always been undervalued. Yeah. Um, and I must say, I'd say in the in the 80s and 90s, and probably even the early 2000s, specialist mm-hmm. wingers were the ones who would get you tries all the time. And yeah. that was pretty much their sole job was, you know, be able to catch and run. Mm-hmm. They're your two jobs. You don't have to run fast. I mean, Rod Wishart was testament to that. Yeah. You just had to know how to run. And know how to catch mm-hmm. and get yourself over the line. That was pretty much it. Then, as the game changed in the 2000s, we had started getting limited interchange. You had four players on the bench instead of one or two. Mm-hmm. That sort of changed things a fair bit. And so, you needed your wingers to be able to have the, the size as well to play essentially as a second rower. And it changed the way wingers became. You didn't get the small wingers anymore. You got mm. everyone had to be had to be powerful. They had to be able to run the ball back hard and make meters. They had to be able to do it one out from the ruck when they're you know being pinned down their own half, take some pressure off the forwards. 
that sort of thing. Um, the problem is, I guess, is that while a lot of these players are worth, should be worth quite a fair bit of money, is it's all about supply and demand. And there's a yeah. lot of these wingers out there now. Exactly. And I, I think that that thing about wingers needing to be able to come in and do work, I mean, obviously it's something that is part of the game, but I think that that really come in with the Broncos. And, and you know, the one that started it really, the, in, from my point of view, that really got through a lot more work than most wingers did was Michael Hancock. Exactly. Um you know, and then Sailor come into that side and it was him and Sailor. And then when Hancock left the team and it was uh, Sailor and Takiri. Yep. And I think the just the fact that Sailor and Takiri was so so big, that put it into the mind of coaches and teams that you had to have that size. But it kind of masked over the fact that if these two guys were half a foot shorter, they would still be doing incredible things as wingers at the time. Um, and, and Wendell was a, he was a pure winger. Like you couldn't have put Wendell at fullback. He wouldn't have been that great as a fullback. And I no. think he would have said that himself as a winger. He was a, he was a try scorer. He got through a lot of work. He was fast. He was mobile. Um, and I think that, but I think the size of him and Takiri put people off so that they started going towards, yeah, we just need a big dude. We need someone that's got some pace and is a big dude. And in some cases, it really did work. But I think that it got some teams and, and the game a little bit away from valuing what a pure winger can do. Yeah, for a long time there, we lost the likes of players like um, Josh Adokars. Mm, yeah. Who out and out speedsters. Yep. We, we lost genuine speedsmen for close to a decade in that early NRL period stuff because they were just going after big men everywhere. And I um, think that's what hurt Nathan Blacklock in terms yeah. of playing for New South Wales. And him not playing for New South Wales, I believe, is a disgrace. You know, he should have. Fully agree. I, I mean, just one of the greatest tri-scoring wingers in the history of the Australian game. I, I will take nothing away from him as a winger. One of the best we've ever seen. Um, and But I think because at the time he was playing, there was this mindset that you couldn't, not be six foot three and 105 kilos and be a, a rep winger. I think that really hurt him. Um, and we've seen, I mean, I'm trying to think of other Nathan Merritt was another one who, got a, yeah, he got a rep on a too late in his career after he's way too after well. been through his peak. But yeah. yeah, he was another one. Absolute freak in space. Try, natural try scorer. Yeah. I mean, look at this record for Nathan Blacklock. He scored a hundred tries in 114 games for the dragons. That's just... 121 in 142 club games from 95 to 2004. That's when that game was going through all sorts of turmoil and the the role of the winger changed dramatically. He was still scoring tons of tries. You know that golden period there, 98, 20 tries, 99, 24 tries, 2000, 25 tries, 2001, 27 tries. How does he not make the New South Wales team? How is he not? Yeah. I don't unbelievable. But he did play. He did play for Australia. Yep. Um, he played one game against Papua New Guinea mm-hmm. and scored two tries in that game. And he played in one of the last ever Ashes Tests. Yep. Uh, actually, it was the last Ashes Test. I think two thousand and one. Last one. Uh, was that the last one or was it two thousand and 
or were they? No, I think 2003, didn't it? Wasn't uh, might that, be, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I think that um, was Australia versus Great Britain. Yeah, you're right, it was 2003, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, he, he got some honours there, but deserves so, so much more. Oh. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal Should have played, played close to 20 tests. Yeah, I would have been know. close to that. Yeah. And just as many origins. Yeah, and I mean, Merritt was another one that I feel as though, and Merritt was uh, a, a smaller player, um, and I think that hurt him um, because they, I mean, even they still like it. That's why Kotrick, you know, they like Kotrick because of his size. Um, and it's weird because Addo Carr is probably the best example of a player now that, that that thinking has changed a little bit where he just is he's such a good winger he's such a good um natural winger and a natural try scorer they're now looking at those players again and it's great to see because they're the best wingers they are and i think it was also good to see that um valentine holmes is another one you know mm. he's, he wasn't a big player but like at car ran the ball back hard and with pace mm-hmm um, and was phenomenal. And another just genuine try-scoring freak, knew how to get across the stripe. Um, it's good to see that they're moving back towards what looks like a more traditional winger, mm. but still also open to toying with the the big monster. I think that's what, what Melbourne's done well. They've got Vunavalu on one side, who's just a powerhouse, mm. and Adaka on the other one, who's just a bloody train. And it's interesting because Parramatta have Ferguson and Sevo, and they're probably... I mean, they're ridiculously huge, both of them. Yeah. Um, Ferguson, massive, but a natural try scorer. You know, yeah. he can get to the damn line. And that, like, there was a a try he scored last week where he got the ball, and if you weren't a natural try scorer, it would have been difficult. And he may he just walked in. I don't th- even think he got touched. Yeah, he um, had to wait for the because the ball bounced in front. Of him, so he had to wait for the ball to bounce up. And mm. stop moving and grab a flat-footed and then go from there. Um, the thing about Ferguson is it's not it's not just his power and his speed. The agility of that bloke, mm. for the size of him. And his timing ridiculous. of everything is mm. so good. Like, it, like, if the ball is bouncing weirdly, he'll wait until it's time. You know, yeah. if there's a gap to go through, he'll wait, wait, and then he hits it. And, and his timing for everything is just phenomenal. And that comes down to being, and I don't even know, like I'm sure somebody that's, you know, a talent scout or something would be able to sit down, and I'd love to get a ta- an NRL talent scout out one, on one day. They'd be able to sit down and say, you know what it is? It's this, 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 and this. And that's what you're seeing as a natural try scorer. Yeah. But... It, yeah, that, and I think that his size, it's not about his size. You know, if, as I say, if he was half, half a foot shorter, um, he'd still be a phenomenal winger and, and one of the best wingers in the game. Exactly. Um, it's, yeah, and so it makes you, and going back to the question that was asked, if you look at Parramatta and you line up because they get so much out of their wingers. And they've been a little bit lucky getting have, having Sevo sort of having him come on and, and in leaps and bounds in one year. They get more out of their wingers than I think pretty much any other team. I guess the Storm do as well. 
but those two teams, I mean, is there another couple of teams you can think of where they get that much out of their wingers? Um, probably not. Canberra, maybe. But yeah, no, maybe. Canberra, Canberra's not in the same ballpark, so I'd probably nah. say no. Yeah. But they're like, they're diff- a completely different level. They get a lot out of their wingers, but not as much as the, you know, the Storm. No, that's right. Deals. And uh, so what value do you put on that? Because, you know, do you, can you get to a point where you can have a winger like Sevo and a winger like Ferguson and that combination of the two is together is worth more than most, not even more than most, but more than just having one class winger. Like, is it worth spending a million bucks on your wingers, I guess, well, is what I'm trying to say, if you get say, in that situation. I was going to say, the interesting thing about that is you could probably argue that they're two of the top five wingers in the comp this year, Ferguson mm-hmm. and Sevo. And I can guarantee you that there is a massive difference in salaries between the two. Yeah. I think Sevo's sure, on, ba- on a minimum contract, actually, yeah. still. Just, there are obviously the circumstances there. And even if he gets an upgrade at the end of the year, he's not going to get an upgrade to what Ferguson's on. No. Maybe half that, if that. Um, so it's it's hard to tell. I think for a lot of players, not just wingers, the value comes down to um, importance to the way the team plays. So yeah. I'd say that um, wingers for the West Tigers, for example, would not be worth much at all because they don't rely on them as much because their biggest trouble is trying to make the big metres up through the middle. So wingers are something they're not thinking about at the moment, whereas Parramatta's game plan is through the wingers a lot. A lot of their sets start with one or two hit-ups from the wingers, um, and they go wide an awful lot. I mean, everyone talks about Mitch Moses and all his tries. Have a look at how many of them come from kicks. Yeah. And he just kicks them up there and says, that's my job. I've got it in the air for you guys. You do the rest. And they, it, yeah. they do do the rest. And that's what you do. You just get the ball out to, to wherever they're good and just leave them, leave the rest up to them. So good wingers for Parramatta are worth twice as much, I believe, than what they would be at the West Tigers. Yeah. And, and so, that's a really good point. So I guess, I, you know... Does that mean that Parramatta can spend a million bucks on two wingers and it's worth it for them? I would, I personally think yes. Well, we saw last year when they had no Radaraja, they had no Sevo and they had no Ferguson, just how well Parramatta went. They got the spoon. Mm. The year before that, when they had Radaraja there, they were in the finals. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty clear that their the way they play the game and their structure relies heavily on those powerful, powerful running wingers. Um, so yeah, for them, they would spend a huge chunk of their money on, on powerful wingers. Absolutely. So here's another question, right? Just say you are, and it, it's, it's not for every team, but it'd only be certain teams would be able to be in this position, but okay. Let's look at say the North Queensland Cowboys, Right. They've, they could really. I mean, they've got Tamalolo in the middle, but their pack, they could use some help with. Mm-hmm. They've got an Origin halfback. They've got a pretty handy fullback who's probably not on the biggest amount of money. If you brought, if you, if 
North Queensland said, we're going to spend a million bucks and we're going to get Sevo and we're going to get Ferguson. Would it be worth it to a team like that? And thinking to yourself, look, if we do that, we're, we're always starting our sets off pretty well. And then we've got, you know, they've got things to work with already. It's not like they've got a terrible team and they're just chucking two good wingers on the outside. You know, they've got, th- there's certain teams that could maybe look to spend that money and it'd be worth it. I, I don't think it would be worth it to a team like, say, for instance, um, the St. George Dra- Illawarra Dragons because they've got so much money wrapped up in their pack and, and their pack is fantastic. And as you say, it maybe wouldn't be worth it to the West Tigers because of the way they play the football. Um, it, I don't think it would be worth it to the Gold Coast Titans. Um, but there are certain teams where it might be worth it. But I can yeah. also see the argument against that where you're like, man, there's heaps of, like you say, it's supply and demand. There's plenty of dudes. Go to Fiji. <laughs> well, that's, just that's what clubs are doing. I mean, the Dragons had Ravalawa this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cowboys had Nene McDonald before he got horrifically injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's not Fijian, obviously, but, you know, it's, you get these these Islander wingers. They're just unbeatable. There's no one in the world that's as good as them. Well, you look at, at Penrith uh, at one point, they had DWZ, who I consider to be a winger fullback, right? They had uh, Source. They have To'o, right? So that's three bloody good wingers. I mean, there's a, there are a lot of good wingers around. And it seems like anybody from Fiji just comes out and is just a fantastic winger. It's crazy. I, I always say all well, wingers should be Fijian. And so does that mean that spending a million bucks on two wingers is absolutely ridiculous? Like, I can see both sides yeah. of the argument. Look, I think for for what what would be the issue for, especially with the, the example you had there with the Cowboys, is... I think it would mean that the coach would have to change the way he coached the team and the game plans he had to suit where he spent the money, I guess. Mm-hmm. But these days, most clubs are spending um, all of their money, or not all of it, but they're spending a huge chunk of their money on their one, their seven, and their nine. Mm-hmm. And then they go, right, what can we spend away from there? And it comes down to you know where they've got junior strength and depth and stuff and where they're lacking and that sort of thing. Um but as I said, wingers, and you'll see it everywhere, okay? There's, there's plenty of wingers out there. There's plenty of options out there for wingers. There's not much when it comes, not much stock available for halfbacks. Yeah. And you're seeing at the moment there's a lot of halfbacks earning massive money and they've played zero rep footy. And it's yeah. been going on like that for a while. And that shows you the power of supply and demand. Yeah, and I mean, these teams... And I, I think that uh, Nathan Cleary is a great example. You've got a young halfback that ticks a lot of boxes, and you you keep him, man. You sell a farm to keep him. Um, and like the West Tigers are a little bit lucky that they've got Brooks on the cheap because he, you know, he tried to keep a lot of players around that left anyway, unfortunately. But He'd be another sort of player. It's like we've got we've got the halfback. We've got that sorted. Just keep hold of him. Um, Hunt, he's on close on a million bucks, and people are blowing up about it. It's like it's literally supply and demand. You know, yeah. if you if you haven't got that halfback, 
damn, you want to pay a million bucks for a halfback. Um, so, I mean, even look, I mean, Mitchell Moses is on 800 grand. Yeah. Um, you know, Ash Taylor is on close to a million, if not on it. And look what happens when you're halfback and he hasn't played great. You know, he hasn't had it like, I would say he hasn't played as well as any of the other players we've just mentioned ever. No. Um, but look how the team goes without a halfback at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. would, they, would, the, would the Gold Coast Titans happily pay a million bucks for a, even a solid halfback? Probably would. Yeah. Well, they're paying it anyway now for a poor one. So an yeah. upgrade to a solid one would be a good idea, I think. <laughs> it'd be handy, wouldn't it? <laughs> it'd also be nice if you wanted to play a bit of footy too. Yeah, that'd be handy. <laughs> yeah. Come, come and earn your wage for a little while. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we were going to look at the who we thought might be the top five wingers of all time. Yeah. Did did you write them down? I did write them down. <laughs> oh, and preparation. You know what? As we're, as we're talking, I know, preparation. It's kind of weird. Um, I'm going to put in an invoice for this when we make a dollar. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, we've named our top five wingers of all time uh, until we did this together. I feel like... Part of me feels like oh, I want to change one of them, though. Hey? That's fine. We'll, we'll toss it. We'll we'll debate oh, them. Oh, we'll we'll, do, we'll name our five that we named, and let's see where we go from. So number one was Brian Bevan, and yeah. when you look at his try scoring record, it seems like a typo. It seems yeah. like it's not even possible. Uh, and one player who never got to play Test football because he was Australian playing over in England. Mm. Uh, and he did it for 20 years. Um, it, was, it was ridiculous. Like yeah, He started I mean, in 1942 for yep. East in Australia and finished up in 1964 with Blackpool Borough. So 20, 22 seasons straight. And he so scored. How many, how many games did he play? 670 games and scored Which is, 757 tries. Unbelievable. It's, 87 more tries than games played. It's just... It's, it's, I, I can't even imagine what that looks like over the course of a whole career. That's insane. It really is. 700 tries. You know what's crazy is that he had two stints in Sydney with Ace. Yeah. He played eight games and never scored a try in Australia. Oh, really? Yeah. I never knew that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. And look, you've got to keep in mind, tries over in England, they're kind of like medals in swimming at the Olympics. They are everywhere, you know. But still, you cannot look at that record. If he had just scored one try in every game, it still would have been ridiculous. He did way better than that. Yeah. Uh, and you, you just can't look past that. That's a record that will never be broken. Uh, it's It's insane. Uh, number two on our list was Albert Rosenfield. Yeah, Albert Rosenfield. So he, he started out in Australia with, mm-hmm. with East in the debut season in 1908. Um, one of the players who went on the Kangaroo Tour and decided to stay over there after mm-hmm. the tour ended, and he stayed with Huddersfield. And his, his record looks impressive because he scored over his career, which was from 1908 to 1924. He actually went to war in the middle of that. Um 
He played 398 games and scored 389 tries. But the thing that stands out for him is that he holds the record and the second best record for most tries in one season in either Australia or England. So he set the he set the record in uh, 1912-1913. We scored 80 tries in about 40 games. And the year before that, he'd scored 78 tries in the same number of games. And I remember when I went to the to Huddersfield in 2006 and I went to the Rugby League Museum and they had a, a, quite a chunk of the Rugby League Museum dedicated to his, his ability. Um, and I was talking to the curator that was there and we were talking about Albert Rosenfield and I didn't know a great deal about him. Um, and he was, I believe he said that he is uh, in the Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. That's, that's correct, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I mean, what a incredible record and he went to war in the middle. That's that yeah, went that's went incredible. to war, came back, and then returned playing football. Wow, that's incredible! Wow. Um, okay. Um, is yeah. there anything you, more you want to say about Rosenfeld? Well, I just want to put it in perspective. So he's he scored eighty tries in one season, seventy eight in another. The next the next closest to that was seventy two, which was actually scored by Brian Bevan. Um, the highest ever scored in the Australian league. So, you know, the NRL in the season before it was 38 by Dave Brown. And that was in 1935. And he scored 38 tries in, I think, 16 games. That's crazy. Oh, man. But he that's wasn't insane. a winger. He was, he was a centre. But, yeah, uh, yeah they, that that's, puts it in perspective that the best record ever done in Australian season, Rosenfeld doubled it and then added a few more on top. And there's been... I'm pretty sure in the last, like, uh, 15 years in Super League, I think one year Leslie Vanicolo might have scored 38 tries. And then there was somebody else that I feel like got got a right up um, in terms of, like, more than a try game, but I can't remember who it was. Well, even in the, um, the even 90s. Even in the 90s, there was... Um, yeah, Vanicolo scored 38 in, in 2004. Mm-hmm. I think even in the 90s, some of the Wigan players in the, those amazing sides they had there, I think one of their top try scorers might have had 40. I think Offia had 40 or 50 for a few seasons. Well, it's funny you bring him up because he's number three on our list. He is. Um, I, I tell you what, if I am picking greatest teams of all time, I am finding it really difficult to leave him out. Really difficult. Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, he's, uh, I mean, I remember being a kid at school running around calling myself Martin Offia. Uh, Just unbelievable. And we've talked about him earlier. What was his uh, try scoring record though? He ended up with, at the end of his English career, he'd scored 417 tries. Um, and, well, actually, I think he scored more than that. I'm looking on my website. I haven't finished the work on the English side there, so it's probably yep. more. And yep. he had uh, 20 tries in in Sydney in yep. 27 games. That's crazy in itself. 28 test tries in 36 tests as well. Man, unbelievable. Let me see if I can find his full record. Yeah, he's just, and yeah, I... I 
I've got a all-time great team. I'm pretty sure on my website. Net, look, it needs a little bit of updating. Uh, let me see if I can bring that okay. up just now. Well, he had 444 tries in 424 games in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, no, that, that's all up for his career, yeah. So okay. better than a try game there. That's crazy. He even spent um, two seasons playing rugby union and scored 13 tries in 22 games. What were they thinking? <laughs> Why didn't they get him the ball more? <laughs> I don't know. So he played with um, Bedford Blues in 96-97, and then he played with the London Wasps in 2001-02. Yeah, he, played, uh, he was also the headline player... And back in rugby league, he was a headline player for a little bit for the um, London Broncos, and I believe that was might have been when Richard Branson owned them at the time. That's correct, yes, yeah. So I, you know, on my in my all time great team that I named, and I named this this team, man, this might have been fifteen years ago itself, and I didn't have him in my team then. I feel like I would probably have him in my team now, though. Um, but the, the, I mean, these top five that we've named, y- you can't go wrong with any of them. Um, so number four on our list was Ken Irvine, who holds the all-time try-scoring record in f- Australian Rugby League first-grade history, and basically the NRL try-scoring record, which we've had some players kind of, you know, get close, but have. We've seen some great try scorers show how difficult this record is going to be to beat. Yeah, I mean, you think um, Billy Slater, Steve Menzies, Billy Slater got to 180, I think. Yeah, Steve Menzies did well. Um, they're still 30 odd tries short of yeah. Irvine, who scored 212 tries in 236 in Sydney. Um, unbelievable. On top of that, 30 tries in 24 games for New South Wales, 33 tries in 31 tests for Australia, and uh, seven tries in eight games for City. Yeah, just couldn't stop scoring tries. That's all he knew how to do. Incredible. <laughs> how many How many first-grade games did he play? 236, which is yes. impressive given that he played at a time from 58 to 73 where I think it would have been the first part of his career would have only been 18 rounds. Per year, yeah. and then from 67 onwards, it would have been 22. Wow, that's crazy. And, yeah, it's interesting that we've had a few players. I mean, Brett Stewart, I remember at one point it was like, ooh, this is going to be interesting. And he didn't really he didn't really get close. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of great, great try scorers that, that just at times you've sort of thought, oh, man, he might be on track, and then they just don't. They don't get close, and it shows the the consistency you have to have over so many years. That uh, I mean, for even Menzies, I mean, he was very, very consistent, um, and he just, you know, they they kind of get close ish, but they don't ever really get to that point where they even think, man, if I play another season, I'll I'll get that record. Yeah. So uh, unbelievable. Absolutely. Uh, last one, and this was one you pulled out of left field, and I was so impressed, man. I was like, I was like, Andrew's doing some magic here. <laughs> Cecil Ainsley. 
Cecil Ainsley, he was known as the Red Flyer, uh, Queensland winger. Never played in, in the Sydney competition. But um, this was back in the days when Queensland would play against England and New Zealand when they came over to tour and anybody else who was touring around the, the country. Mm-hmm. So Queensland didn't just play New South Wales back then. But he played 37 games for Queensland and scored 57 tries. Crazy. Um, and I'm still building his profile from um, things like the Balimba Cup, where he represented Ipswich. Mm-hmm. And just on the few seasons I've done there, he's played, um, I've got down 11 games so far and 12 tries already in that. And I'm not even Good. close to finishing that. Yeah. Um, he managed to play for four tests for Australia, scored three tries there. And that was at a time when Australia had um, Harold Horder, who was a mm-hmm. massive try-scoring freak, and Seth mm-hmm. Blinkhorn, another one exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, he managed to push them out. He was that good. And it's it's an interesting part of Australian rugby league history, isn't it, where you have these players that come through Queensland and they don't like they probably didn't get the recognition they deserved just because they weren't playing in the the big comp in Sydney. Um, but they were doing extraordinary things, and when they were matched up with like for like opponents, they got the job done. Yeah, like they they, they it wasn't like they he come up to test level and it was like oh yeah need you know he didn't get the job done. Like he, he kept on doing it, what he was doing. That's right. And then he also went on, on a tour with the Queensland side to New Zealand mm-hmm. and played in, I think 10 games over there. Mm-hmm. How many tries do you reckon he scored in 10 games over on that Kiwi tour? 10 games. I'm going to, I'm going to say 15, 31. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, just insane. The the guy was just an all-out, just absolute natural. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And look, oh, man, I find it hard to – I was going to say, I, I, feel <laughs> as, I feel as though Nathan Blacklock, right? Yeah. I feel as though he needs to be given a special mention. And I was thinking before this, man, is he should he be number five? But then it's like – you look at that record and it's like, oh, Nathan. I got some bad news, Nathan. <laughs> There's probably a, you know, people will come up with a swag of other alternatives to Cecil yeah. Aisley on there. And yeah. they're all going to be legitimately good options. Mm-hmm. I just think the, you know, being a historian, I have a soft spot for these guys because no one saw them play. Yeah. And I feel some sort of onus to, give these guys their, their just just desserts, just rewards, all this sort of stuff, to try and make sure that people never forget the mad stuff that they did and how how bloody phenomenal some of them were. And I think Ainsley's record, given that he never played in Sydney, he's, because of that, he's, he's barely known. Mm-hmm. But he played for Australia. He played for Queensland. He was a freakish try scorer. So I think he deserves to be definitely in that conversation. That's why I was I was pretty keen on pushing him for being in the top five of all time. Yeah, and look, it's the it's a damn damn good. I mean, that's as I said, I I thought Blacklock, but then you look at that record and you're like, 
man. And isn't rugby league history beautiful that we have these parts of it like that where you've got a Cecil Ainsley and it's that's I don't think people understand how beautiful the history of rugby league really is. I, I don't think they've got any idea. No. Um, I absolutely love going through the, the past of the game, especially those first 20 years, because mm. you see so much development in the game and the players, and it happens so quickly. Mm. Um, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. So, yeah. That was, I think uh, we, we, that we weren't expected to do that. <laughs> no. But uh, that, that's turned out to be quite a uh, quite a stunning little episode, that one. Yeah, yeah, it's been a great one. I've really enjoyed it. Um, we'll put this one up straight away, and hopefully people enjoy this after the uh, really good footy game that we watched. And, you know, anybody that likes Rugby League Wingers, it's sort of like a, a current, current episode mixed in with a really good history episode. Yeah, so if you've got any um, suggestions on who you think should be in the top five and probably who we should omit. Obviously, Ainsley will be the one because no one knows who he is. Um, <laughs> let us know. Hit us up on, on the Twitter at FergoFreakPod or you can drop us an email like uh, Christopher did and give us your suggestions on what we could talk about. I mean, it's not like we're going to be slagging off about it. I think we spent, that was spent about 35, 40 minutes on that one. So yeah, yeah, we'll give we it a good it. chat. Yeah, yeah. So keep sending them in. Any suggestions and... Um, you know, if you don't get a reply, it, it, you'll probably hear us on the podcast talking about your suggestions. But uh, I'll, I'll reply to Christopher and uh, and let him know that this is the episode that uh, he helped put together. Exactly. And uh, on that stunning note, we'll catch us all later. Goodbye. <laughs>